Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable Podcast, where a panel of leading WordPress junkies discusses the latest WordPress and internet stories of the week. Now, on with the show with your moderator, Jonathan Denwood. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 513. I've got a small but powerful um, panel. I've got some interesting stories. I, I think it's going to be a great show. I think uh, I just feel it in my bones. I feel it in my bones. Uh, I'm going to let the panel introduce themselves. I've got my friend, John Locke. John, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, John Locke, um, and I do SEO for manufacturing and industrial firms. And he helps me out in my in my messes as well. He had to come and assist me with something this week. Uh, um, uh, and I've got my uh, other friend, I've got Uncle Spencer. He feels part of the family there. Uh, Uncle Spencer. It's just like a to- wee little panel today. Yes. Is this the right mic, by the way? Am I tapping the right yes, mic? Yes, you, you, sounds great. There you go. My blue snowball. <laughs> I'm not going there. Uh, uh, Stephen, Stephen um, uh, would you like to introduce yourself to this as viewers? Yeah, uh, my name is Stephen, zipfish.io. Uh, we work on making WordPress, WordPress fast. Fast. We make it fast. Mm. All right. On to, um, well, before going into the main stories, let's blow through my sponsors and my, my great sponsor is Kinster. Kinster Hosting, you know, they've been sponsoring the show for over two years. Um, I They host the WP Tonic website. Look, if you're looking for really quality WordPress hosting for yourself or your clients, you can't do much better than Kinster. They've got a fantastic reputation. Um, if you get a problem and you really need some people that you that won't be sarcastic and just get the problem sorted, um, that's what you get with Kinster support. They know what they're talking about and you don't get any back chat from them, which you, you get a lot from some other hosting providers when when you really don't need it. You know, your blood pressure's up already and you don't need any sarcasm. Well, you just don't get that. So if you're looking for that for your clients and or for yourself, for WooCommerce, learning management system, anything that needs that kind of better kind of hosting the environment, you could do a lot worse than Kinster. So go over them tell, and tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic Show. Our other sponsor is a real friend of the show. It's WP Fusion. And um, what can I say about it? Look, if you got, um, if you really want modern marketing optimization in your, in your websites on WordPress, and you're using external external CRM like Active Campaign, ClickFunnel. Well, don't matter what it is, because WP Fusion integrates with over 200 of these systems, which is just mind blowing. How they manage to do all that, I just do not know. But um, in, like I say, it integrates almost with anything, and it will put your automation on steroids. So I I can't go through everything it could do for you. Just go over there see what they've got to offer, buy one of their packages and, and tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic show. So I can on tell you st- what it does, by the way. Sorry? I can tell you what it does because if you want, you go over to WP Fusion, click the button, you get to have a free call with me and I can help you understand what it does. So come there on. There you up. go. You can have a chat with Uncle Spencer. <laughs> there you go. What more can you ask for? Right. 
you know, what a pleasure. That brightened your day up. Uh, um, right. So, <laughs> forget about the virus, learn about WP Fusion, much nicer. Uh, um, so on to story one. Um, Ashta becomes the only non-default WordPress theme with one million installs. What did you think of this, John? Yeah, and what they mean by this too is in the in the WordPress repository, in the theme repository. So for those people who are going to say Avada and X theme and some of these theme forest themes in Divi, they probably are close to that number, if not exceeding it as well. I think it's um, good because it's a good theme and I'm really surprised that there aren't more than one. This is the only one that's in the repo that actually has a million installs outside of, you know, 2020, 2019, 2018. Uh, it's a little surprising. And I think one thing that uh, uh, Jason Tadlock said in the comments is they gave a list of some of the other ones that are, that have a notable amount <clears throat> of installs. And uh, I think there was five that they mentioned. But Storefront, uh, the one that is the de facto default WooCommerce theme only has 200,000. Uh, installs, which is not that much, considering how many installs WooCommerce has. Astra is a great theme. Uh, a lot of people seem to love it. It seems to be the default way that that people build now is with Astra and something like Elementor, where in the past it would have been uh, a Genesis and Beaver Builder. So that's yeah, at least I what I'm seeing. Spot on, you know, because that's yeah. what that's what's in our stack. We use. Basic Astra, we were using these one um, starter sites from Astra, but they, they, they're puffing them up with too much extra. So we decided to make some of our own themes um, based on Astra, you know, because I, I just want something I know how it works and my team can modify the home page, some of the key pages, and get it up and running for our clients quick because they're always in a rush. Um, what do you reckon, Spencer? The reason that Astra is successful, and by the way, John, that was outstanding. John hit it on all cylinders. But the reason I think that Astra is successful from personal experience is that, and it's alluded to here, it is functionally everything you need and nothing you don't in the free version. Number two, it doesn't put its branding all over the free thing. Number three, it plays nice with almost everything else, especially in the free version. Ironically, and I would attribute this to Sujay, uh, many of you who follow me know that I've had a lot of uh, interaction with Sujay on other levels. Sujay runs a really professional operation at Brainstorm Force, and they make their money from doing all their other stuff. I would say that a part of their revenue is certainly Astra Pro, but what I have to be fair about is saying is whether they made not a dollar more on Astra Pro would make no difference to the success of their business, in my understanding. And so Astra is a perfect lead magnet into their business. It gives you everything you need with none of the shenanigans that you typically get on a freemium offer, which it's like, oh, we got you 80% of the way in the door. And then surprise, with Astra, it also has one feature, which is really the default. And John and I were working on that particular project where I think I you know, took you off of using that other package thing, is that all you need to use on Astra is the free version and then use the little sidebar option or in the default settings to hide the page title, hide the breadcrumb, hide the featured image, and it becomes the perfect 
background for Elementor, especially Divi, anything else, because you now have like a grid of six options on laying out the page with none of the other stuff in the way. And, and to me, that's a big deal, again, with WooCommerce, because many themes that are free, you get the free thing, and then you realize, oh, they forced the formatting of your WooCommerce layout on you. Or, oh, look how they screwed up LearnDash. Or, oh, look what they did to my, like, homepage. And you spend more time fixing that than just what you wanted to build. And Astra does not do that. That's great. What do you reckon, Stephen? I was I was really surprised that uh, the top theme only has a million downloads. Like I haven't really been following theme downloads for for a long time because um, everybody talks about plugins and what plugins are doing. Um, but I thought they would have had more by now. And I think what was really surprising too is that um, kind of what John was saying is that there's these other companies that have these huge like lead gen type stuff for their themes. Like Elementor has their theme, right? Like they can push that all day, but um, they're not even close to that million mark. Um, and I think it's just a really testament to what, like what Astra's doing, right? Like if Astra can pull off a million theme or a million downloads of their theme based on the theme design alone and that they're not hot, they don't have like this other huge like lead gen thing pushing people towards that theme. Um, I think that's a big indicator to showing like how good they're doing and what they're doing. Right. Yeah. I just think, it's really interesting to see how all this is going to play out. You know, um, you know, you know, is Divi going to be able to survive? You know, and some of the other small, you know, Beaver Builder. You know, you got these two juggernauts, haven't you? You got Alamator and you got Gutenberg and the blocks. You know, and is there going to be any oxygen left for the other smaller? page builders, like even Fry Theme. But I think Fry Theme and probably Beaver Builder, because build, you know, the Beaver Builder, they do kind of aim it at, at the more professional agency types, don't they? And Fry Theme is a kind of enclosed environment. And it's never been that open. You know, they've always tried to keep you in the Fry world, don't they? It's just really interesting, but uh, it is a good, it is really a quality theme from a quality um, agency, isn't it? That you know know what they're doing basically. So let's go on to story two. Um, so Gamlet Media sued for not making podcasts accessible to the deaf and hard of hearing. What do you reckon about this one, Spencer? Um. <clears throat> As an attorney, as a person who uh, has a family member who's profoundly deaf, and I wear hearing aids myself, not for, like, I absolutely need them, but because they improve my life, um, I find it ironic. <laughs> uh, and as a person, by the way, technology-wise, I use a little service, still do, called otter.ai, which I've referenced here, with my Zoom. It automatically transcribes everything in, like, two seconds. And it's also, I was on their beta where it, it took my voice samples and made uh, an AI of Spence. So I can now theoretically type out or put in a paragraph or a page and it will make it as if I'm reading it. But if I also record something and I want to change out a line of text, I can retype the text. Yeah, I just want to interrupt there. You have to put it into chat and I have to look at it. But I tried some other of these... Um, 
voice recognition transcription services and they, they couldn't cope with my accent, Spencer. They were all over the place. Yeah, think, I can't understand your accent either, but that's just Yeah, like, well, it's very useful that you want to be blessed, actually. You, 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 you got to train it. So what happens with this is like Otter, out of the box, may not get it. But the service that, that it was based on, the technology, was fascinating. And I haven't used it for much purpose. But you know, if you made a, a long-form video, like a screencast, and you're like, your kid screams in the middle, or you change a word, you can now go back and edit the actual voiceover after the fact just by typing it. Point to this is, I find it ironic in 2020 that any company would spend any dollar on litigation when they could have spent 50 cents on just transcribing stuff. Like they could have just sent all the podcasts out to be auto-transcribed for a fraction of the legal costs of fighting a class action. And I speak as an attorney on that. This is ironic and stupid and I can't understand where they think this is going, but like the ADA is not going away and people are not going away that, you know, with the masks on now, this is a topic too, because like you can't, I lip read something, like you can't see people's mouths. Everybody's sensitive to the fact that it's a problem. So why would you fight it? It's bad advice. You know what I mean? So what do you reckon, Stephen? I think it's a really interesting landscape watching all these people fight over um, like what, how how do you define accessibility? And like, it was one thing when accessibility was like, can you get into a building or not? Like that's a very clear cut and dry. Like, of course, everybody should be able to get into a public building. Like that's ridiculous if you can't do that. And here's the rules to do that. But once you get into the the digital world, um, accessibility becomes a lot trickier because of all of the variables. It's not just a certain slope to a ramp, right? It's like, what are your color contrasts? Do you have to hear things? What do you have to see? Uh, if you're clicking things, are the buttons big enough for people to click that can't you know, be using a mouse or have to use some other type of pointer device? Um, how does that translate to all of these different screen sizes? Um, and how do you make that work for every browser out there? And it's a really complex world. Um, and I think that's why it's so far behind because it's kind of a juggernaut to solve, but I think it's going to take some legal action like we're seeing here where, where people are filing lawsuits saying like, Hey, this isn't fair. Like you need to start thinking about this more you need to, because it takes a lot of time and effort and money to make something accessible or truly accessible to the broad range of disabilities out there. Um, and unfortunately I think it's going to take lawsuits like this. But uh, it's something that I think people are becoming much more um, aware of and being able to figure out some solutions. Like, I'm trying to remember the name of the company is, but there was like this widget that you could install, like just a little like JavaScript code that put like a little like accessibility icon that if you clicked on it, you could then like adjust all the colors on the page and the type size and the button size and um, like remove text. And they did like some image like for remove images and just show text. And they did some like things where they could like uh, use AI to figure out what those images were about. So let's have somebody forgot to put in the alt text, like they could like try to assist with that. And it's like an interesting kind of bridge sort of thing. So I think there's a lot of startups and companies that are starting to get into this space where how, how can you make it easier for developers to create something accessible when somebody forgot to do it in the first place around? I think in the article, they talk about how expensive it is to try to go back through and make something accessible, which is very true. Um, and just keeping an eye out that, like eye out for that as you're developing the site, I think is becoming more and more important today. I, I, I want to add something to what Stephen said because 
what we learned uh, in law school, and I'm, I practice personal injury law and malpractice and stuff, is that the nature of this suit is not specific to her particular wrong, okay? This is not that dissimilar to something like, in the old days, Ford, w- with a car called the Pinto, made a conscience, conscious effort when their engineers knew that if you tapped the bumper, the car burst into flames. They made a conscious choice after measuring it to let people die in a ball of flames and pay out their families than to fix the problem. The issue with lawsuits like this is, yeah, of course somebody needs to be the initiator, but from a societal and a legal purpose, this is to initiate a conversation of whether society benefits by making equal access to various things. And while it can be taken to the extreme, like, you know, does every single thing have to have, you know, six different ways to get in and out? This doesn't really seem that unreasonable given that the technology burden is minimal, right? Like if, if they made, you know, airplanes have to have Braille on every single sign or something, maybe that's different. But this is just turn on a technology that exists. And I think the point shouldn't be lost here with the, there's a you know, couple snarky comments like, uh, you know, you know, I'm suing TV stations because I can't watch stuff on TV. Well, guess what? Your fucking TV does allow blind people to watch it because it's got the ability to transmit the sound. And when people like me watch TV, every channel, I can just turn on the closed captions, which I have to do with my kids in the room. So that's stupid. You're wrong. That's the point of this. It's like, if you have all this great content and podcasts and you're a national broadcast company, you should probably have to consider making it fair for everybody to be able to listen to the content. Well, I think this Rogan, you know, him giving, you know, his deal with Spot, was it with Spotify? It kind of put podcasting really in in the spotlight. It did it, you know, it's put it on the radar that there's big money, you know, only for the top echelon. It's like all media, isn't it? It's the real gravy is only for the top, like one to five percent, isn't it? Um, but. Um, you know, that's it. But I think that uh, that's one of the reasons because it's kind of put it really on the radar. On to the next story. Um, how to pick a best LMS hosting service. And this this came from one of um, my competitors, um, Accessory. Um, um, Accessory. And I, yeah. And uh, it's not a bad article. What did you think of this one, Stephen? I think picking a good LMS hosting company, like you can like read through an article like this and oftentimes what boils down to is just cough up a little extra change and get something good. Like don't just cheap out on your hosting. That's, and that, that, that's really like what it boils down to. And you can, you can like, you know, look for uh, better hosting companies um, or hosting companies that specialize in X, Y, and Z. Um, but really, what, like what we're talking about is we have a lot of dynamic data that's going on. Uh, people that need different type of content served up and caching can be a bear. And so can the hosting provider ha- have some sort of solution for your specific needs so that pages don't get cached that aren't supposed to be cached? Um, and do, do they have the infrastructure in the back end to be able to serve pages to a large group of people without you know, without uh, having your server go down. And really, it's one of those things that if you have no users, you can, you know, do whatever. And it's, and I think there's this tendency for people to get scared about getting locked into a hosting provider. 
Um, but it's not that hard these days to migrate from hosting provider to hosting provider if you're okay with just a little bit of downtime. Well, the two uh, the two key things there, and you know, we do it with our client. You know, our clients is we is you know, don't buy the domain name through the hosting provider. Keep your domain names totally separate from your hosting providers. It does comp- it does make things slightly more complicated, um, but not that much. Um, and secondly, you know, try and keep. I understand why people do it, and and the service we're offering, we can offer some limited email functionality. But if they're doing marketing or you're using it for the learning management. We offer a third-party integration system, but email. But that was a bit long-winded. But fundamentally, it's best to keep your email separate from your hosting provider. Don't let your hosting provider supply the the email functionality. Try and set it up separately. So keep keep your domain separate and keep your email. That will make it much easier to move if you get fed up with your hosting provider. Would you agree with that, Stephen? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we live in a world where like having modular kind of elements to your site, like your email in one bucket, your domain in another bucket, your hosting in another bucket. And even if you can get a little bit more sophisticated and break your database out to a completely different server than what your code is running on, like as you can break things apart more and more, I mean, some, sometimes the level of effort doesn't make sense, but when you can break something out, you add flexibility in the system, you allow your system to be able to scale more you can migrate from one system to another system generally a little bit easier. And that's really when you're approaching hosting and you're approaching even plugins and everything, I think there's a tendency for people to think about like, I want an all-in-one solution, one thing to do everything. Um, But that's really kind of where people start getting themselves in boxes and I think start uh, hurting themselves a little bit. Like pick the thing that does what you want it to do the best it can do. So like, I mean, for example, like a Zipfish, if you want to do speed optimization, have your website run as fast as possible. Like that's your key goal. Like that's what our service does. But if you just want solid hosting and you want to do all of the speed optimization and all the tweaking yourself, like then something like Kinsta or WP Engine or Flywheel, like that's perfect for you because like you want to roll up your sleeves and get into that. And so like what, what do you want to achieve? Find the solution that focuses specifically on that and go with them versus um, trying to get like a catch-all, like, oh, we do everything. Like, here, get our hosting. We'll give you this free LMS plugin, and we'll give you your email. And, oh, by the way, here's a domain name for a year. That's that's where you're going to get stuck, and that's where probably as you grow, grow it's going to get really painful at some point in time. So what do you reckon, Spencer? I mean, Steve says it all, and this is just one of those, like, we're at a commodity. You know, I say it every week. We talk about this topic. It's that we're at a commodity. So the hosting is like describing text messaging. This article is very well written for the audience. Access Ally is a very specific type of membership solution where you have to be all in with. If you use Access Ally, you can't do most of the other things that you can do. with. The well, she's aiming, she's aiming at the same top, you know, I'm great. Very low level, like starter. She, well, she's aiming at the Kajabi... The platform um, crowd who would come over, right? You know, and she's just trying to make it. And that's what I'm attempting to do. I'm, I'm a, my normal agency, but my SaaS Quasar product, that's what I'm attempting to do. I mean, make, make the whole process a lot more easier. Th- that's the point. The, the point. the point is like, if you ask somebody who buys a phone today, 
I'm selling you this blah, blah, blah brand phone. Nobody talks about the text messaging capabilities of the phone anymore, right? It's presumed that text message is just fine. The conversation of hosting, and Stephen and I have discussed this, has shifted. If you just need a reliable, basic thing, there's a hundred different things that are all commodity items. If you need a specific, specific, a very specific type of service or capability, that's when you need a concierge type of a host, one that's optimized for WooCommerce or for marketing automation or for scaling. But for the bulk of everybody who's buying a phone, hey, it text messages, right? Yeah, it's got a keyboard, right? Yeah, that's it. That's why, you know, it's a good article. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's not, it's a conversation that I, I would say if I had my druthers here, we never need to talk about again because it's like talking about keyboards or something. We, we, we've passed the point where it's relevant. You know? Well, I think because you understand it, but when um, I've had two clients last week move to me and, you know, I'm not going to, you know, they with certain people, as soon as they named them, uh, um, I said, you know, can we move? Are you open to changing the hosting i said you know you don't have to use our supplied one but you know and they are but they also want all the pop- other problems sorted out you know um it, it's just that soon as they soon as they start actually getting some success on their membership it all tends to fall to bits spencer because and a lot of it is to do not only they tend to be Frankenstein's. They've got a load of plugins, and they've they've had a go. They've had a go building it themselves because they didn't know. And then they've started to get some members, and it's starting to fall to bits. Spencer. But that's the point. The point I'm. I, I think we're on the same page. All all of us. For most people, at the beginning level, from zero to like a certain amount of success with the business. It's a commodity. Does the phone have text messaging? Yes or no. Does the website have hosting? You tell me what to do. I don't care. It makes no difference. Just include it in your recommendation what I should do. Just tell me. It's only when somebody gets to a certain level of success or specific needs that then you need a higher level of concierge service, not dissimilar to the other parts of a business. Hey, my company's making hundreds of thousands a year. I got to talk to a special type of a CPA or a lawyer to set up a different type of a corporation or where does my money go with the, the bookkeeping? Those things only become a problem when you reach from like 80% success to 100%. And for most people, yeah, you know, who, who wants to think about hosting? They don't. They want like John Denwood or Stephen or somebody else to just say, do this for me, please. I'm good to go. Make a recommendation. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Spence and, and Steven summed it up perfectly. I mean, picking a, a good host, you just you want to pick something that's going to be reliable. Um, m- most of it is selling the the same stack. Like there's m- the two that they're choosing right here, uh, Kinstit and WP Engine. They both resell Google Cloud, but it's how that they you know do these other things behind the scenes to help uh, facilitate your uh, website growing. And, you know, these other ones that are popular, like Bluehost, GoDaddy, they're just not that good. And just because they're um, pushed doesn't mean that they're all that great. So, you know, 
a lot of it is just, you know, you don't want to have to worry about this stuff. You just want a host that does everything that you expect a, a host in 2020 to do. Having backups, um, you know, ha- serving up Stag- your staging site, backups, staging site, fast, backups. My- migrations, you know, all these different things. You just expect all this stuff to, to, to be there. And when it's not there, it's, you know, it's a hassle. You know, so, if the bloody backup doesn't work, they actually get off their backside and sort it <laughs> out rather than just leaving you for the, the two days to yeah. kind of fester in your own sorrows. Uh, um, you know, <laughs> you know, basic stuff, isn't it? This is what you're looking for. Um, somebody um, that in, that's answering the support tickets that don't give you a load of techo back chat. You know, these are the things you're looking for, isn't it, John? <laughs> Oh, you're right. He's, he's we're going to go for a break. We can't, we're going to come back. We've got some even better stories. I don't think it's been too bad. A small panel, but a powerful panel. What more can you ask for? We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Are you a WordPress consultant, designer, or small digital agency owner? Then you need WP Tonic as your trusted white label developer partner for your next big e learning or WooCommerce project. WP Tonic has the knowledge to help you build out custom functionality that your clients need in LearnDash, Lifter LMS, and WooCommerce. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with a full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Find out how WP Tonic's white label services can help your agency today. Go to wp-tonic.com's homepage and book a free consultation with Jonathan. That's wp-tonic, just like the podcast. Coming back, I do a Thursday interview show as well, um, listeners and viewers. You probably listened to that. Um, but I was I was accused of being really homey yesterday, which I am. I admit it. You know, I like my puns, but there we go. It brings a smile to the panel sometimes. Thank you, Adrian. So on, Sorry? Adrian's waiting outside the door. Pardon? I think Adrian's here. Oh, is he? Oh, great. Oh, great. Got my co-host for my Thursday interviews. He's joining us. The more the merrier. Uh, um, yeah. Is he coming? He's here. Hey, he's, he's turned up. Well, a little bit late, but always welcome, Adrian. You're always welcome. So we're on to, um, before I go on to the next story, I want to, tell you about a free webinar that I'm doing with Chris Badger, the CEO of Lifter LMS, doing that on the 4th of August, Tuesday, the 4th of August at 9am. We're going to be talking about all things Lifter LMS, about their recent major upgrades to 4.0. We're talking about their fantastic add-on groups that allow you to set up sub-accounts. We'll be talking about how his best recommendation about using Alimator. Um, It's going to be a feast about building a learning management system and some of the key areas where Lifter LMS can help you in that process. Also, Chris is going to be available to answer any questions that anybody um, that joins us live. It's going to, like I say, I think it's going to be a blast and a load of fun. Chris is a friend of mine. Um, So all you're going to have to do is go over to the WP Tonic website. In the top menu, it says free webinar. Click it. Give us your name and email, and you'll be an up. You'll get automatic updates telling you that you should when you should be joining us for the live webinar. Just do it; it's going to be great fun. So, 
on to our next story. Um, the rant, morality bankrupt, no mercy, no malice. What do you think of this, John? Did you have time to have a quick news of that? Yeah, I actually did uh, peruse this. So this is Professor Scott Galloway. I thought he was at his best, actually, wasn't he? Yeah. No, he made a lot of salient points here. And, um, you know, when history is written about this era of time, there's going to be a whole section in the, in the history books about how toxic social media ended up being to the stability of the world. Um, but he's, he's talking specifically about Facebook and Twitter. Um, Mark Zuckerberg has proved time and again that, you know, he doesn't care, uh, uh, you know, what happens in the real world as long as he's getting paid. Um, you've seen this happen, you know, before in, in the form of Burma, Burma, uh, Myanmar. There is a genocide that was facilitated in lot. Uh, by rumors and posts and things that were going on on Facebook. They did nothing to curb that at all. Um, and the, the sad part of it is, is a lot of people get their information from Facebook. So when rumors and things go out, you know, for example, a recent one that I know a lot of people believed 100% in is that, you know, all these protesters and, you know, the anti-fascists, they're busing in people from all over to come to your little rural town and they're going to come, you know, whatever, riot and pillage and stuff like that. Pillage. People believe this, but it's all, it was all proven to be, you know, rumors that were started by a white nationalist group in Europe. And, you know, Facebook doesn't do hardly enough to stop this stuff. And in fact, they give... Well, there's no uh, money in that, is there? No, there's no money in that, but that's it. They they give like experts to uh, certain sides of the, you know, politicians, give them experts to tell them how to spend their money, tell them how to get more bang from, for their buck. Now, the no, second... The thing about him, yeah. he was, um, he, I think it was yesterday or this morning, he was talking to the former top, um, advisor on the virus on the plague, and like Zuckerberg's making out, he, he cares a fuck. That, no, you know, he, he does he, not he, care. He doesn't care a fuck if half of them. No, yeah, no, people yeah. stuffed it. He don't care. Well, this is what I say. You know, I've had people tell me. You know, I had people tell me this that you know, especially when I go into like more rural areas and and you know different things, and people say that there's this liberal bias in Silicon Valley. And I would say that it's exactly the opposite though. The people who are at the top, the people like Jack Dorsey and the people like Mark Zuckerberg, they have, there is no liberal bias there. I would say that they're more conservative than anything else. I mean, honestly, Jack Dorsey. um, Well, they wrap themselves in social liberalism, but their economics is hardcore. Um, Hardcore American um, capitalism. or capitalism. <laughs> I, I wonder well, though if this is really like a Jack Dorsey problem or a, a Twitter or a Facebook problem. Like the problem is with humanity, and that whether like you shut down Facebook, Facebook does all the censoring. Let's say Facebook does everything right. Well, people are still going to gravitate to a toxic environment where they can yell whatever they want and post whatever fake news they want. And so I don't think that, like, if Facebook can censor it 
It's just people are going to eventually find something else and move on, and then we'll have the exact same problem again. Like the problem is with each one of us and everybody else. And as a humanity, as a human society, like we have decided that we like giving our eyeballs to like complete trash fires. Um, like look at, you know, reality TV. I mean, why do people watch that? Like same exact reason. And I don't think like, I think it's easy to say, well, Facebook needs to get their act together. Twitter needs to get their act together, but like, it's not going to solve the problem. Like, yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from, Stephen. And part of me feels like what you've just expressed. And I'm very, so it's a bit it's like YouTube. I, I, I put, um, in in our Slack channel, uh, recently um, YouTube banned Stefan. Is it Mona Lex? Um, he's a um, kind of commentator, right wing commentator, and he's a white nationalist. Well, kind of. He, you know, no, he's not kind of. He is one. Right. Well, that's your view. Um, that's he's, what he is. Kind of. He's not somebody that I like personally. He's a Nazi light. Yeah, he's a Nazi light. That's what I would, I would call him a, a neo-Nazi, really, a neo-nationalist. Uh, um, I think that's more of it. But it's not somebody that I, per, you know, I find him extremely annoying, actually, and a intellectual fraud. Um, but a lot of people like him. So, but YouTube banned him, banned him, and seemingly um, he didn't exactly break any, hadn't been given a lot of warnings. He's not one of these people. And uh, it just makes me a bit queasy when um, where YouTube just kind of bans somebody and totally remove them. Um, and that seems the total other extreme than what Facebook and Twitter where, and uh, Uncle Spencer point out, there are already rules and regulations about about this, but they just don't seem to ever apply to Twitter and Facebook. Really, uh, um, that's what I that's what makes me kind of. So, what do you reckon, Spencer? I want to point out two things I observe here. First of all, referencing our earlier conversation about the the media company Gimlet Media, YouTube. I didn't want to listen to Scott ranting. I like his stuff generally. I just clicked the button that said read transcript. Guess what? Really easy to do and fully automated. So all their argument is a waste of time because YouTube makes it very possible. In reading it, the point that's salient to me that I take away is the, what's the alternative model? And there actually is, uh, there are a few examples of an alternative model here. The, the media advertising is not the cause of bad behavior of all of us in society, but it is the motivation behind how Zuckerberg and even Jack Dorsey make their decisions. I agree, they're false liberals. I mean, Zuckerberg is about as right-wing as you'll ever get, sucking off the nipple of, you know, raging Republican stuff. And so is Dorsey now, even though he's getting the attention from allegedly fighting Trump, he's got his stock back up and so forth. So. Scott's idea was to detach it and say, if you can get a following of people, you will pay for the people to see content or vice versa. They'll pay you. But the point is to take it away from advertisers who may have ulterior agendas to the individuals who are using the platform for gaining their audiences and so forth. I'm not saying it's a perfect idea, but it was demonstrable that it worked for other things. Like he referenced Adobe which I thought was a whore when it was 1300 bucks for a student to learn how to use Photoshop in 2018 or whatever. They moved to 30 bucks a month and it's not perfect, 
but apparently their revenue model is recovered and doing well. And I think we see all kinds of examples of when you change the model, there's always going to be people outraged, but it disincentivizes the other bad behavior in favor of maybe something less bad. And right now, clearly, we are at a new age, and I said this before, we are at a new age of the robber barons. In the 1890s, 1900, it was the Carnegies and the people with the railroads and the certain actions like the Clayton and Sherman antitrust acts came around to fix that. Now we're in the Google, Facebook, Jeff Bezos, Amazon era, where these multi, multi, multi billionaires are intertwined with political stuff and they control the gateway to everybody's daily existence. And I do feel like we have to just look at it for what it is and say, one last thing. You know, Twitter got hacked yesterday. Mm-hmm. They were talking about, let's talk about an Armageddon event. You're November 2nd. The election is tomorrow. And some Russian guys come in and allegedly being Biden or Trump or whatever and say, I just started a war with North Korea. Or, oh, I just had a heart attack and died or something. All the people that were about to go to the polls now are in panic about what the hell's happening. Like, you can literally take down a country with Twitter. What the fuck is going on that our entire democracy is hinging on Twitter or a Facebook post? That's the problem. Uh, Before I put it over to Agent, Dr. Scott, um, he he found this, um, Lenin Lenin said it, actually. It's one of the few things I would say Lenin got right. He He said that nothing can happen in a decade and then... Um, more can happen in two weeks than can happen in a whole decade. And I I feel we're living in times that the actual cycle of political and social change is just being put on a serrated mode. You know, anything could happen. It's hourly. (laughs) It's it's on an hourly cycle. (laughs) It is literally, isn't it? A Twitter might be the finish of us, Adrian. What do you reckon, Adrian? Well, so there's 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 several levels of, I mean the so the article or the the video is really questioning so the morality of whose responsibility is it in order to treat the data treat the users with certain levels of respect the twi- social platforms like uh, Twitter and Facebook, uh, and this has been talked about before, and I don't think this was my point, but I'm going to reuse it. Uh, they they act as amplification devices for the true thoughts and feelings of individuals because it's so easy to bandwagon onto a cause uh, that you may have thought about before but never really put any sort of thought into and to have someone tell you kind of like what happened when we go back 2,000 years ago and someone wrote the good book. It's really easy to hop on a bandwagon with someone with similar beliefs and people have generally a longing for belonging, which has caused the... The, the gigantic rift. So the question is, is the morality on the shoulders of those who created the platforms and control the platforms for providing that megaphone and providing that platform for people to self-identify on, you know, uh, A or B side, uh, or is it on the individuals to self-identify that, hey, listen, I, I can identify that I am currently on this bandwagon and I should take it upon myself in order to do a little bit more critical thinking. I think it's less likely that the latter will happen, as has been demonstrated throughout all of human history. But 
that's you know so i think i think we could all benefit from a little self-reflection before you know we put our thumbs to the keyboard and and start another twitter war food for thought yeah i think that's well put um but you know i think scott dr scott is kind of especially he believes i from 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 the gist he's, he's on the side that the controllers and the gatekeepers and, and the people who run are firmly morally responsible for the outcomes that happen on their platforms. What, what I would like to know is how does he think that somebody's going to pay for a social media platform and get any sort of eyeballs like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat? It'll just be replaced. There, there is not one example of a large scale, like anything that's remotely as big as those, that's a paid platform. Like the problem is we're dealing with people. People are cheap. And people want to have flame wars. Like, if you don't give it to them, they'll find somewhere else to go. But it was just, yeah, if they if they replace it or if they introduce monetization or yeah. if the gatekeepers decide to come down with the morality hammer and say, you know, we're going to take the morally high road here, and everybody who's currently you know on their Twitter war is essentially just going to be we're going to impose truce on you. Someone yeah, I, in that group is not going to agree with that decision, and then someone else, something else will come up. That's just, yeah. it'll I be just, replaced. I just feel that the top echelon of Silicon Valley kind of went into this libertarian. I don't think they, they believe in libertarian stuff either. I just think it suited them because it is a philosophy that suits the bottom line. And that's all that these people care about is the bottom line. They've got no empathy I've got to be honest, and I'm going to be honest to the panel and the listeners, I like to see myself as a reasonable person and a person that's not particularly that violent. There's all there's violence in all of us. But every time I see Bezo and I see that smirk on his face, I just want to get my fist and ram it up some, somewhere personal. I just want to take that smirk off that geezer who basically um, doesn't pay any taxes. His corporation has never contributed anything to society, never paid any taxes to anybody. And I'm sure if a really intense investigation of his company and his accountancy practices was really done, he would be in a federal prison because he's got all the elements of a tax evader fundamentally and i don't get it why he's so glorified because it to me he's it's so evident of what his company has attempted to do nationally and internationally avoid paying any taxes to anybody uh, um but that's my little rant but i thought i'd just be honest to the panel and listeners they looked a little even spencer looked a little bit shocked were you a little bit shocked spencer uh, I'm not a proponent of violence of any form. Uh, I am frustrated by what people do, but yes, you you took that to a new level today, John. I'm going to stand five feet to the right of you on that one. <laughs> not anywhere near you. Right, you're uh, entitled as the host of the show. Now, he just he just that smirk on his face. You know, every photo that's taken of him, there seems to be that kind of little smirk, like and. Um, 
I just think add a stomach full of Mr. Bezo and his practices, you know. Um, but there we go. I think there's many people that are not at my stage, but I think my view is growing um, every day, actually. Uh, um, so um, let's go on. I'm going to cut the other two stories because I don't want this to become war and peace. Shall, uh, shall we go on to our recommendations? I d- didn't have one. Have you got anything, John? You got any kind of recommendations? I, I'm really sad, by the way. Sorry, sorry, John. I apologize for interrupting. I'm really sad we're not talking about the WordPress documentation team. All right, let's do it. Let's, let's go. All right, are, are the rest of you up for it, panel? Yeah, they seem happy. So, what do you? So, it's a WordPress documentation team bans links to commercial websites. What do you want to start off on this one, Spencer? I would just like to say, though, the topic is mundane. It's. Uh, Let's mark this as, as Exhibit 22 in our uh, evidence against WordPress.org or automatic whatever becoming a cesspool of petty behavior. If you look at the comments on the article, but then look at the very last comment by their uh, mouthpiece, Milana Cap, which leads back over to the Make WordPress policy, you'll see many of our friends, including Triple J and whatever, saying essentially what you're saying here is, Go fuck yourselves because anything we say has even a remote commercial purpose cannot have any links to it in any of our documentation at all, which leads to the logical conclusion of, wait a second, you mean there's thousands of plugin authors and thousands of authors, even like Justin, who have contributed immensely to this code. And because on our website, I sell a book or I have a course or I have a whatever, you've labeled me as guilty. And now all the links to my work and my website are gone. Fuck yourself. And I'm swearing a lot today, so kids, be warned. I'm very riled up, but not violent, just riled up. This is the kind of, like, egotistical, go-do-yourself kind of behavior from automatic that is intolerable. And this young lady, I don't know at all, or maybe she's my age, I don't know. She's just seemingly very smug about... We know what's best for you. We've decided for you. That, my my like, reply would be unmentionable. My reply. The whole, like the whole thing is, I thought this was a big potluck dinner here. Who's decided? You guys have now decided for the whole community that this is the way it is. And it's unpopular, but sorry, it's already a closed conversation. It's just, it's hilarious. And yeah, this, this, is the, this, this attitude and this, this, um, mythology of action as i would call it is is the thing that really that um our great leader doesn't seem to understand that really rubs up a sizable chunk of the wordpress community that he would be highly advised to listen to you know some of the people outraged by this were weren't exactly hotheads were they they're people that got a long track record of justin Justin Tadlock lined up on the same side of the plate with Yoast that this doesn't seem reasonable. Like Justin is just saying, look, like I've just got articles that are on my website that I've got other things I sell. I'm out of the picture at the same place as somebody who's abusing this. And it's like guilty until proven innocent. But we all know that doesn't mean what it is. It just means we're done linking anywhere else. That's it. Flat out. And under the guise of good for the community. It's not that. It's just guys of we're going to control what everything does now and take it away from those who we built upon the backs of. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, this is where it's been going for a while. 
I mean, they have conned, conned everybody into giving all their time and making them believe that it's a community. All the while, they've been taking VC money. And once you do that, you know, it's no longer a community thing. Um, you know, and I understand like yeah. Yoast being like, hey, man, we put in more time contributing to this project than anybody except for Automatic. So we want to get those links. I mean, that's honestly, to break it down, what that's about. But, you know, and, and there's other people in here, too, who, who are recognizable names. And they're saying, like, shouldn't you trust, like, people who have been involved with this project and made WordPress their life and gotten the WordPress tattoo and everything else? And uh, shouldn't you, tr you know, trust links to them? But basically, this is, is automatic, like, continuing to to break away from... People thinking that it's granola and kumbaya, as Spencer would say, but this is a corporate project and they're, yeah. this is just another sign of that. So, you know, WordPress is just a tool. It's not, I mean, yeah, it's a community, but they're not going to give you anything. I, I, I do like free. it. And the main thing is that Spencer's pointed out is the main difference, which automatic can't change, is it's open source. So that's the one fundamental thing that, you know, whoever Automatic jumps in bed with, and I totally agree with you and Spencer, they've dumped, they, they've really jumped in bed with some real hardcore VCs recently. And things, things have got to change because, you know, that action can't be denied, can it? If you, if you compare this to Wikipedia, I've listened to Jimmy Wales talk about oh, this. Oh, you, you haven't, have you? And, and, and he's an interesting fella too. But, like, if you compare how Wikipedia works, it could be maddening then in Wikipedia, you put your hard work into writing some kind of wiki, and then some kid comes along and alleges that it shouldn't be there, and they take it down. But here's the difference. In Wikipedia, you stand a chance of getting it back up because everybody's on equal footing. This is like a Wikipedia community for 15 years where they took everybody's hard work, and then they came in and said, no, it's over. Shut up, kids. Get, sit, get in your room mommy and daddy are upset with you and that's it. And that is not the same thing. Like they have taken an, a level playing field of contributors and said eternally it's over. And that's just, it's just bizarre. And, and I think this is just forcing me into a good position, honestly, is a weird way because remember I have a standing bet that they're going to do something so bold before the end of this year. I only have a couple of months left that somebody will be smart enough to fork it off. I'm hoping it's elementor or somebody, but then, Everybody who has commercial and other benefits will just flock to version two and let automatic run with what's left of their other thing. Um, well, it's, you know, they, they, it, it, at some stage that's going to happen anyway with, with Animator because at some stage, you know, it's going to be made, it's going to be, Gutenberg's going to be developed at a certain stage where, it w wouldn't really work with Alamator. You know, that it's really obvious that's, that's where they're going. And at, at some stage, um, if Alamator wanted to continue, they would probably have to fork it. Any, I'm not, I'm just waiting for that to happen. I'm just really I, surprised it hasn't happened. To be frank about it, there's Elementor's motive, but there's a lot of people who are in alignment, like allies in a war, with what Elementor is doing, right? And the page builder thing, uh, our friend Adam did a recent post where he's, again, pimping Cadence theme, which makes no sense, with the blocks. 
But the block thing in 5.5 was interesting because they are inching closer and closer to at least it being a functional editor that has page building capabilities. And if you were coming in as a newbie, like a Squarespace, Wix, Weebly person, you would probably say, why do I need Elementor, et cetera, et cetera. The people who use Elementor understand the fundamental differences between capability, but for the bulk of normal newbies, doesn't matter. And I think that's what's really the place this breaks off is at some point, my gosh, create an alliance of Elementor and all the commercial companies who want to go to version two, fork this, and let's get it over with already. And let automatic run off with their original thing and see who wins the race of whatever it is that's going to happen. I think, I think it's good. It's, it's free market. What do you reckon, Adrian? Is my bored. unmute button. There we go. He's bored anyway. I'm not bored. <laughs> it's easy. I, uh, I, had a, I had a webinar. You, got, you should have got used to my easy by now, actually, Adrian. <laughs> I, sorry, I had a webinar with Buddy Boss and the, and the questions are still coming in two days later. So, okay. On the issue of documentation, I, I, I think this was kind of like a knee-jerk reaction to probably something that they didn't like and they brought the hammer down and I'm sure it'll, I mean, they, they, they the policy or maker disclosed that they are open to re-reviewing this in the future, which just makes me believe that something posted something unscrupulous and there was an issue, someone complained, and then they're like, well, you know what, the the safest route and the one that requires the least amount of contributor work on our end is to simply not validate any external links by not allowing them at all. Uh, and that, that just kind of seems to me sucky, yes. Um, but if your main... Uh, like lead source is the WordPress documentation. I would spend some time trying to figure out uh, or, or finding a new customer uh, segment and a new customer lead acquisition channel than simply just relying on the WordPress.org repository. In like 99% of cases, most people's first go-to is not the WordPress.org search bar. It is the Google search bar. So spend your time focusing on creating uh, a scalable and equitable search channel through Google and search engine optimization, get help from John Locke here and, uh, and uh, go down that road. I wouldn't spend too much time worrying about wordpress.org documentation, especially if you're like a commercial company, you got your own stuff to document and worry about. I think they're not talking about newbies, though. I mean, you're you're correct, but I think they're talking about legacy people here because no newbie is going to waste time trying to get into the documentation. It won't ever happen. But for the people upon whose back WordPress.org was built, that's where I think it's ridiculous. And that's, I think, the point of this. Like, the people who spoke in the comments are the the old timers here, like, from day one. And it's just ridiculous because it would be literally like Wikipedia just suddenly taken away all the people who wrote the first five years of articles or something because of some nonsense that you now have blogs or websites that make money. I can empathize, but they're doing okay. Any of the legacy people are doing just fine. And I think that, you know, part of it also is like, it would be necessary. It would be pretty impossible for me, for example, to get into the documentation and get any sort of ROI on the effort spent on that, while 
the legacy people who were there still are able to do that because they were there first. So this is also sort of like an equitable thing by kind of just like leveling the playing field because it'll be easy for them to do it while it wouldn't be easy for me to do it. Now, is that fair? That's no. the point. I mean, it depends. It really depends on how you look at it. And I guess from automatic or or the WordPress.org's point of view is like, let's just make this a non-issue so that people will stop asking us about it and why their links aren't being posted while Yoast's and WPSEO and all of the others are. Let's just remove the question and not have to deal with it by just blanket policying it. I mean, clearly that's their motive, but the, the payoff, which I think you agree with, is that for those people, and I gave up on this years ago, but I was <laughs> in this topic, who fought Otto in the forums or in the documentation for a decade. No, for real. I mean, that's what it comes down to. For those who were around and went through all these, a decade or more, 15 years for me, of dealing with like growing this from a BB, you know, something to what it is today, there is a a payoff that's like an annuity or like a pension of, hey, you're in the documentation. You have credibility, like your name is on the wall etched into concrete. Just like when people get all jazzed, you know, the developer types, when they get into a, a, the list of contributors to WordPress 5.5. Why do they get so jazzed about that? You're etched into the code. That's my point. Is it like they're just taking a sandblaster to the wall? I don't have any vested interest at the moment at it, but there's definitely a feeling of me saying, that's not right. Like, it's in the concrete for a reason. Leave it in there and then maybe make your thing like you're saying, prospectively, we're not going to do that. There's a phrase before you pass it over. There's a phrase. It's called be the bank. And if you're not happy with other people making changes, then tough. That's, <laughs> that's, why, that's why it's it. leading to a, I agree with you. That's why it's, we're going to take the ball or somebody will and go fork it. And I, I'm not going to do that myself, but I would say I would be one of the advocates of that position. Should one of the people in a capacity with a development team like uh, elementors do it? I would be one of the guys up there with a cheerleading sign and promoting why it's an awesome idea. Well, it's pretty obvious. Everybody to go follow it. It's pretty obvious with uh, Matt Matt's statement. I think it was at the European or Spanish word camp when he had that interview. He made it quite clear what he, what his position to Alamator is. Is that you know that Gutenberg blocks were going to grow. That it, it basically Alamator was just going to at some time be faced Evolve or with, die. with the reality of the market that Gutenberg would just dominate and they would be forced to become a block um, add-on provider. I think the 17 plus million VC money that Alimator's got has proven that their ambitions are a bit larger than just becoming a glorified system that works with Gutenberg or become a block, third-party block developing company um obviously those those two things are incompatible so something's going to happen you know you don't have to be a visionary to see what's coming um and i think quite a lot more people that are much brighter than me have worked that one out uh um so we just have to see if johnny kins is totally wrong or Right, I think let's get on to our recommendation. John, have you got a recommendation that you want to share with the listeners and viewers? Yeah, this recommendation comes from some friends of mine at Hook Agency in Minneapolis. They've put together a guide to local SEO marketing. 
And they talk about some of the pitfalls of uh, local SEO marketing and where you should put your budget and uh, how to get the most bang for your buck and get local leads. Sounds great. Put it all into chat. Adrian, have you got anything you want to share with the listeners and viewers? It's a recommendation. Absolutely, I do. Uh, so we worked with uh, someone named Will Middleton, who many of you may know. He's a constant contributor in the Lifter LMS community, and he's really great at what he does. He's been uh, recently interviewed by me and Adrian. Go over the WP Tonic for that interview. Yeah, and uh, we worked together on creating a short mini course. Uh, Hopefully, he'll be able to help us do a few more of these. Uh, This particular course is focused on how to generate more five-star reviews using a very simple marketing automation funnel built with Groundhogs. And that course is available for free on academy.groundhog.io. That's great. Now, I just want to ask you about your um, buddy boss. And, you know, you you did a fabulous... um, kind of webinar discussion with with them and you're saying you're getting a lot what do you think is driving all the interest around buddy boss and um lifter or integrating it with a learning management system in your own product i think i think the community the the draw of having a community is the big one uh just everybody sees people amassing these huge followings if it's on instagram twitter facebook and they, you know, it's like kind of like influencer culture is really affecting people's drives. Like, well, where do I want to build my audience? Some people for influencers and B2C, that's on social media. However, there's a whole other segment of B2B influencer and B2B kind of like cult group community stuff. You know, look at someone like Russell Brunson, who has amassed a massive B2B following on that spanning multiple social platforms. And the drive to Buddy Boss, which is a fork of Buddy Press, is really a result of people looking at that and saying, well, how do I create that for myself? Where do I want to build this platform? Do I want to build it on Facebook? Do I want to build it on WordPress? Do I want to build it somewhere else? How am I going to monetize that? And Buddy Boss provides basically kind of like that all-in-one solution for monetization, management, moderation, et cetera, et cetera. So it makes it really easy and it's super extensible as well. I am lazy. And uh, so I just have it on Facebook because that was like the path of least resistance for me. And uh, I have a lot of other software kind of going on as well that I already have to manage. But as we grow, who knows, maybe we'll eventually make our switch over to, to something like Body Boss. But if you're not, ha- if you don't have a community or like a cult following and you haven't started building that yet and you are a business, I highly recommend that you start because at the end of the day, the money's in the list and the money and, and your equity value in your company, the, the, the amount of money that you're going to be able to sell your company for is not going to be based on, well, it will be based on revenue. But the biggest thing is people, when, when potential acquisition people come looking, they're going to look, how many customers do you have and how much more money will we be able to extract from them? You need to have the list and you need to start building it. You can do that on Facebook and you can do that on Twitter or you can do that on Buddy Boss and own the data. All right, that's great. Thanks for that. I just thought I'd ask that. Uh, Spencer, got any recommendations? Yeah, I would add to what Adrian said too, that uh, the reason that a lot of our clients are going or have been since, I mean, 13 years now using the Buddy Boss stuff is they choose to have private communities that are not using the other platforms for the reasons we talked about yeah. this morning. 
Exactly. Uh, especially for a corporation. So I have two recommendations. First is what we touched on, otter.ai. Very worthy program that is free to start. And it, if you use Zoom in particular, is amazing because I think you have to pay for the premium, which is cheap. Any of your Zoom calls are automatically transcribed with your voice recording in the client, but also the words, which means that within minutes of finishing your Zoom call, I send a link that here's your video, here's your audio, here's your transcript for searching over things we talked about. You just search for the word, ta-da. It's great for you, great for the client. Um, that other feature of making your own voice, that's something in beta you can check out. The second is this weird quirk of Elementor, which I love, but also develop against with launch flows. Uh, there was a recent decision, not like a uh, thumb in your eye on Elementor side, that because there was a few bad actors that were using JavaScript to inject bad backlink button kind of behavior with the standard widget, they disabled the ability to put JavaScript, like a, a one-line <coughs> JavaScript, into the link widget or into any other link widget of Elementor, which meant that if you wanted a simple click-to-go-back behavior with JavaScript, you can't use the goddamn widgets in Elementor, which arguably is the dumbest thing ever, but they had to do it to prevent bad actors. So there's a free plugin in WordPress, the back button widget. If you have somebody go from here to there and you just want to give them an option to go back, this allows you to just place a button in. I wrote a little script for launch flows that does the same thing with one of our components, but like I, I couldn't figure out why it wasn't working. And then I finally found one of their internal threads where they said, essentially, Hackers have figured out how to take advantage of this, so we're just closing it until we figure out a better solution. So if you have the same problem with Elementor, you can't figure out why you can't use JavaScript, especially a back button, it's a handy little tool. Good to go. Um, Steve, got anything you want to recommend that's come on yeah. your radar? <clears throat> I'm going to recommend a, trace, a tasty little treat called Stroopwafels, which is, uh, uh, I think, believe it's Dutch. And it's delicious if you uh, enjoy it with coffee or tea, if you're Jonathan. Um, and yeah, so if you want to, uh, you know, shake up your little snack habit, try some shoe bottles. Have you got a link to their website where you might obtain these tasty treats? Yeah, I posted in the chat, uh, We, uh, we have these, uh, there's a, it's a generic brand, but they sell them in the Metro where oh, I live. Yeah. They're delicious. I love them with my coffee. And they're brownies too. I'm a, oh, they're making me hungry. I'm on a strict diet, John knows. Uh, I've lost some weight and I've got some more to lose. Uh, um, well, thank you so much, panel. It's been an excellent show. I think we've we've covered a load of stuff. We'll be back next week with another great roundtable show, listeners. Back. And the weeks just seem to be disappearing under our 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 emergency situations. We'll be back next week, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week. 